Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by Clear Voice Content Marketing Software, helping you decrease your time spent creating content by up to 50% while doubling your online engagement. Convince and Convert, content marketing strategy advisors and counselors to leading brands and organizations worldwide. Convince and Convert makes your content better. Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. And by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. Now, here are your hosts, Jeffrey L. Cohen, Director of Content Strategy at Oracle Marketing Cloud, and from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. We're doing this one in a special location. Sometimes we like to remove the veil of podcasts and we often listen to these and assume we're in these amazing recording studios. Often Jeff and I are in different locations. We're actually in the same room, but it it feels somewhat like a dressing room, but we've got a special guest amongst us. So not only do I have Jeff Cohen from Oracle Marketing Cloud, but I have Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. As you know, Content Pros is part of the Convince and Convert family. And we're actually recording this episode from a dressing room in Toronto at the Uberflip Experience. So you've heard a lot about Uberflip Experience um, over the last number of podcasts if you've been listening on an ongoing basis. Uh, If you haven't, make sure you find these podcasts all at contentprospodcast.com. But we're going to jump into it. And as always, Jeff has found us a stat to give context to everything we're going to discuss today. Jeff, you want to jump in? Thanks, Randy. It's great to be here for another episode of Content Pros. And we're going to start with a, a stat that actually comes from, comes from Jay Bear, and we'll, we'll be talking to him shortly. It, it turns out that the average B2B company, 40% of the revenue comes from existing customers, yet from a customer service perspective, they're only spending about 2% of their budget on customer service. A huge disconnect of revenue versus continuing to serve those customers. What, what's your thought on, on the state of customer service? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we're all guilty of falling into that trap. And, you know, for a lot of high growth businesses, and I know a lot of the people who listen to this podcast work in high growth businesses, and they're always looking for ways to hack growth. Um, but it's actually, you know, I remember talking to a marketing leader at one point, um, and he's actually the founder of a company called Engageo, John Miller, and he told me, Back when he was at Marketo, for a long time, all they thought about was growth and revenue and whether they'd hit their growth numbers. And then all of a sudden, it became more important to think about whether or not the recurring revenue that was renewing would renew. And if they had a bad month there, it almost didn't matter how good of a month they had. They could actually fall apart from a bad month. So I think we're all guilty of it. But sooner or later, we, there's a huge risk that it's going to catch up and it's going to bite us. Well, when I, when I look at this stat and I think about content marketing, because of course we are here on Content Pros talking about content marketing, we've had conversations within our organization about how can we come up with better channels to get our great content to our existing customers. Because of course we create educational content, we use it primarily for demand gen, 
but our customers certainly would benefit from the education that we're providing. So while it's not a, a customer service play specifically from a content perspective, it's really about how do you think about also serving your existing customers to, to again, think about revenue, think about renewals. We, lots of us are subscription-based businesses. So it really is about keeping, keeping them happy, which is, in this case is even a step before you talk about advocacy. Absolutely. You know, we're here again at the Uberflip Experience, which is a conference really talking about how content needs to be thought about across an entire buyer journey. And we spend a lot of time at awareness and engagement. But one of the things that my co-founder talked about today in his keynote was thinking about all the way through to retention. Um, and, you know, in a moment, I know you're going to bring in our guest uh, who's, who's sitting here with us. Uh, and he did his keynote and talked a lot about how we have to really embrace feedback from our customers and use that feedback to create content. So why don't you uh, take it from here, Jeff, and, and keep, keep this into, a, into an ongoing conversation with our guests. Okay, so, sounds great. So, so today on Content Pros, we have Jay Bayer, president of Convince & Convert. As Randy said, if you're listening to this podcast, you know we are part of the Convince and Convert family. Woo! So we're, we're happy to be sitting down with Jay today. He's also the author of Hug Your Haters and other books, which if they come up, maybe we'll talk about that too. But Jay, welcome to Content Pros. Thanks, guys. Great to be back on the show. I think I was on episode one of this fine <laughs> podcast a long, long time ago. Thanks so much for the great work you do on the podcast uh, and in support of Oracle Marketing Cloud and Uberflip. Delighted to be here. Fantastic event at the Uberflip Experience. I mean, I do a lot of events, as some of you may know, and, and for this to be a first-time event is remarkable because it is a first-class operation, uh, and the audience is, is really, really loving it. Great, great information out there as well. Randy, I couldn't agree more with what you said about growth hackers. Like, everybody knows the term growth hacker. There's a very famous book out there called Growth Hacker Marketing that some of you may have read. Have you ever in your whole life heard of a retention hacker? <laughs> no, you have not, because there is no such thing, and that is a tragedy. Like, why is there not somebody who's out there whose job it is to keep the customers you already have? Now, you might say that's the customer service team or the customer success team, but saying you're on the customer success team is a lot less cool than saying you're a retention hacker. And the reason that's true is that for a long time, a long time, folks, customer service has been a necessary evil. Account retention has been, yeah, yeah, we kind of got to pay attention to that, but not really. And it's mostly because for a long time, customer service has been mostly in private. It's been phone and email. Now customer service is often in public, whether it's social media, uh, discussion boards and forums, ratings and review sites, whether it's B2B or B2C. And so customer service is increasingly a spectator sport. And that changes the financial implications for that because current customers can see how you treat one another and prospective customers can see how you treat current customers. And that has a real impact on, on, on actual customer acquisition. And I got to tell you, this idea of, of creating content only for acquisition is crazy. Jeff, you're exactly right. This idea of, hey, if we're making content anyway, why don't we either make special content for our current customers, or if nothing else, let's make sure our current customers have access to the content that we're creating because every day, week, month, quarter, year, they've got to re-ratify the decision uh, to either pay for your software or whatever business that you happen to be in, pay for your peanut butter sandwich or what doesn't matter, like that decision has to be re-ratified. I want to tell you a story about that. So Many, many years ago, well, not many years ago, a few years ago, uh, we were doing work with Exact Target. This is the part, earmuffs for you, Jeff. Um, when, and with Exact Target before they um, were purchased by Salesforce. 
And so they were creating all this content and, and they were putting it out on the, in the marketplace uh, and it was doing fine. Uh, but then we were you know, doing some consulting and found that their sales team, which was quite large and aggressive, uh, didn't actually even know what content was being created. It was like, oh, we have an ebook about this, which is kind of a cardinal sin, right? And so we, we totally changed the process and said, okay, here's the deal. Every time the marketing team creates something of merit, the current sales team gets a two-week exclusive of it. So it never goes public until sales has two weeks to give it to current customers. And what they say is, hey, we created this awesome content and we want you to see it first because we love having you as a customer. Now, not only does that change the way the customer feels about you, but it also makes sure your sales team knows what marketing is doing. And then once it goes public, it has some built-in advocacy because the current customers have already seen it. And so it's like a win-win-win kind of approach. And you know, it's, it's disheartening that here we are in almost 2017 and we actually have to write books about this topic and give speeches about this topic and do podcasts about this topic. But, but the reality is, and this is real truth, People don't care about customer service as much as they should, but increasingly because it's the new marketing, hopefully that's going to change. So Jay just qualified as my favorite guest ever because I welcomed him to the show. I did not ask him a question, and he created basically his own content here sitting Next to us. Jay has probably done more podcasts <laughs> than other people who have uh, been on this show in the past, including uh, producing many, many hundreds of them. But thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. So, so I, the softballs are going to be going the, the other way in this time. Oh, Usually well. we have to give softballs. <laughs> Jay's going to give us softballs. And we're just going to keep going here. Right. So, so I think in lieu of asking another question, I'll just let Jay catch his breath and then continue. Well, <laughs> I can ask you a question if you... Here... One of the stories that I told today in my speech that, that I think is, is particularly germane for content professionals is that people who create content don't actually know what customers want. Like we think we do and we tell ourselves that lie, but marketers, especially content marketers, are not out there talking to customers. Like unless you're a really, really small business and you're wearing every hat, if you're a professional content marketer, you probably are never or almost never having an actual conversation or an interaction with an existing customer or even a prospect, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're communicating with them through a series of of content executions. You're not having, you're not on the phone with customers very often. You're not, you know, exchanging emails with customers directly. And so what we know about customers, we, we try and, and discern and divine from personas and research and, and occasional bits of anecdotal feedback. Um, and, and so that's a challenge. And if you are a content professional and you're trying to figure out what content should we make, your customers will tell you that if you just talk to them. And the people who actually know what customers want are in customer service and sales. That's the list. That's the whole list in your business. Customer service and sales. So if you are a content marketer and you are listening to this podcast, and thank you for doing so, make sure that you are interacting with customer service and sales on a regular basis. Content marketers should be going to customer service meetings. Content marketers should be going to sales meetings. Salespeople should be going to content marketing meetings. Salespeople should be going to customer service meetings. It is a triangle, not, not a, a series of, of bucketed departments, and it will make everybody a lot better. So before I toss this off to Randy, for him to just, again, give Jay a chance to catch his breath before the next section of, of Jay's insight, I, I will say that when I started in this role at Oracle Marketing Cloud, one of the first things that I talked about was wanting 
to actually have those conversations with customers. And it was, it was one of those things that was fully endorsed. Of course it makes sense. But the reality of your job gets in the way. You just can't do it because today I have to create content. I can't go off and meet with a customer. Um, but I, I certainly have been on calls. In other words, it's the other way where sometimes sales will call us in from a strategy perspective. So I wind up on a call with a, with a large customer or prospect explaining to them how we do content marketing. And I wind up, right, I wind up getting, getting feedback that way, but they're really taking advantage of me from the strategy perspective right. rather yeah, than it's me. It's almost strategist and resident to them. Exactly, That's right, right yeah. exactly. And, and then, of course, I took what I explained to them because they said, oh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. And they said, if we were starting content marketing, tell us five things that we should do. <laughs> And I just rattled off. And you said five you should things. listen to Content Pros podcast, and you that's, can figure that out. That's right. I, I rattled off five things, and then I turned around and I wrote a blog post about them. Nice. So yeah, there you go. Reduce, reuse, recycle. That, that's right. So so go ahead, Randy. Take <laughs> take your shot at Jay. No problem. I, I, I'm gonna throw in a bit of a curveball. I mean, there, I, you, you got to first of all hear Jay talk about hugging your haters. It's it's a great experience speaking of which in terms of understanding and you, know, you can obviously read the book and, and get a feel for it but but here yeah, yeah read the book good idea. absolutely <laughs> good absolutely plan. your local library has it wait no wait a second <laughs> but as you were talking about you know who's going to create this content and attending those customer meetings um, or customer success meetings to understand you know it, it makes me kind of wonder how the average company should go about that because you know my company is unique everyone in our company literally bleeds content i mean it's it's part of our interview process whether you're starting in a billing role or a sales role mm -hmm. marketing role or what what have you but you know I, I think a lot of people are probably listening and trying to figure out okay well who's going to own this um, because a lot of us have historically thought of the product marketer as the person to engage in customer-driven content yep. because we often think of the case study, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's let's profile or or yeah, how someone does this. But you know, there's obviously so many different people that we could kind of task this project with because we're looking not just to tell case studies, to your point, that are product-based, it's learning more about what their problems are, you know, what has gone well, what hasn't, you know, to the hug your haters yep. point. Maybe you yep. can just kind of you know, tell us what you've seen in different companies. Well, I, I, I think in the, in the end state, you really sort of take that marketing approach, right? Where, where sales and marketing um, end up being the same department. And I, and I would take it one step further and say, customer success or customer service should be the same department. I mean, why do you have a sales team that's responsible for selling the customer the first time and then a totally different team responsible for selling them over and over and over, right? It doesn't actually, when you think about that, it's like, well, wait a second. You, you're still selling them. You're just selling them the second time and the third time and the fourth time. Why is it a different group? Why is it a different relationship? Why doesn't why doesn't the salesperson that sold them also handle them for the life of their, of right. their account, right? Most companies don't do it that way. A few, but most companies don't. Um, and so in terms of, of who's going to handle it, I still feel like the, the marketers, the content marketers are the ones to, to sort of run the, the content side of it, mostly because it requires some sort of tactical execution capabilities that, you know, a lot of other people in the enterprise don't have. If you say to the customer success team, hey, guys, we need to do a series of customized videos for current customers, they may have the topics like that. But then the whole making the video part is like, well, wait a second, this is not our jam. So I feel like at least given the current landscape of how content is created and how it's deployed, especially online, 
that the, the marketing folks still have to lead that just because they know how to actually take an idea and make a thing out of it. Right, and that makes sense. I, I'm going back to the, the keynote you did here just a few hours ago, and I, I don't think I'm ever going to get forget KLM Airlines now. And, and maybe you can talk about that, but it's a great yeah. example to your point of how you know a product marketer alone couldn't necessarily execute at that level of coordination. This is a full team effort. Well, not only is it a team effort for them, but, but KLM Royal Dutch Airlines is a great example of an organization that is successful with customer service and customer retention because they believe in it at the molecular DNA level. And what I say in the book and what I say all the time when I talk about Hug Your Haters is that you can be better than average at customer service if you just want to and you learn how to and you put resources against it. You will never be great. You will never be great at customer service unless it's part of your cor- corporate culture, right? Unless your culture is aligned at some, at some level around customer retention and keeping the customers that your content has helped you get the first time. Some companies just do not have that in their DNA and they never will. doesn't make them a bad company, it's just different, right? And so you can be good, you can't be great. KLM is great. Um, KLM is the, the Royal Dutch Airlines. Um, they have two really amazing programs. They have many, but two that, that I like to talk about. One is their social media customer care department. Probably every single person listening, unless you're recently out of prison or maybe live in a really, really weird place, has had some sort of negative airline experience in your life. Increasingly, those negative airline experiences play out on Twitter, uh, sometimes on Facebook. And it is a challenge for airlines to sort of deal with customers uh, at, at scale, as, as many of you probably have experienced. And so KLM is like, look, we're going to answer every complaint in every channel every time. We're going to do it instantly. They have 150 full-time people, full-time, that do nothing but answer social media customers. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they respond in 14 different languages. If you tweet them at 3 in the morning in Turkish, they'll be back by 3.07 in Turkish. Right, and they're like, look, this is just our jam. We are putting the resource. Their their customer service spend is a whole lot more than two percent, going back to Jeff's initial stat. But they're like, look, this is what's going to set us apart. We're going to love our customers and hug our haters to the degree that it becomes a differentiator. To your point, Randy, on the content side, they had a circumstance where people were losing stuff on planes. Most of it was me, and I'm a big loser of things on planes. And and so the process was, you lose something. And then you call or email or text or tweet and they say, okay, fill out this form. And they fill out the form and then they go to this like giant desk where all the like missing Island of Misfit toys, headphones and iPads are. And they try and match it up and like, oh, here it is, but maybe not. It's kind of a mess. And so they had a, a team member say, well, why don't we just cut out the middleman here? And if you find something on a plane, flight attendant, cleaning crew, just text me. I'll look up the seat number figure out who the passenger is, look up their agenda, and maybe they're still in the airport making a connection. And so now they, in many, many cases, actually deliver somebody's headphones, paperback book, whatever, to them while they're standing at the gate before they even knew they lost it. And they actually ended up getting a trained beagle to uh, help them deliver things to people inside the airport, which is pretty awesome. And they took that whole story of the of the new process and the beagle and created a really, really powerful and effective YouTube video out of it. It, it became, it was started as customer service, became content marketing, and was downloaded you know, five million times or viewed five million times or something like that. It's really a great example of customer service and content working together. Yeah, I love that. I, I encourage people to take a look at that video. I'm sure we can put a link to it in, in the show yeah, we can notes. Embed it, uh, we can embed it in the show notes at contentprospodcast.com. We'll there, embed it right there, there you go. You know it 
better than me. Oh. Um, <laughs> before, before I jump with another question, we're talking a lot about you know sourcing content and thinking about how we create content. And it reminds me of, of one of the sponsors who's really generous to be a partner with us in this podcast, and that's ClearVoice. And I, I encourage everyone to take a look at ClearVoice. You know, if you're ever looking for a freelance writer, they've got their ClearVoice marketplace. Uh, even if you're just looking for trending topics or influencers, the ClearVoice content studio kind of comes to the rescue. And, and there's a bunch of different parts of the platform that help you with brand guidelines and keywords and personas. A lot of things that we're talking about that need to be coordinated across an organization. So if you want to see it live, go to demo.clearvoice.com and let them know that your friends at Content Pro sent you over. Um, so just, you know, sticking along the lines of where we're, we're talking, but maybe more in the hug your haters world. Um, you know, one of the things that you talked a lot about is where to listen for this hate. Mm. And it, it was funny, you know, just before I came in here, I had to do a, a little video spot for, I guess, next year's Uber Flip experience. And they asked me, you know, what's the nastiest tweet I ever got um, towards oh, me. Awesome. And, and I actually, I, I don't think I've had one. And I said, you know what? I, I related it back. I we said, I, now. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm the, you know, more of an offstage hater than an onstage hater when I do. And as a result, you know, I don't have a, a lot of online enemies. Yeah. Um, but maybe you can help us understand that difference yeah. you know, in terms of how we should think so about it. So I did things. tons of research for the book. And we found that there's two totally different types of people who complain. Uh, and, and the differentiation is, is not really so much demographics, although there's some slight differences. It's, it's where people complain. So the first group are the offstage haters, like Mandy just mentioned. And offstage haters are people who complain on the phone and email, so private, which is the way customer interactions have been for decades, right? So those are people who complain in private, and they expect a reply. So if you call somebody, you email a brand, you expect them to get back to you. And about 90% of the time, they expect an answer. The other group are the onstage haters, which are very much on the rise for demographic reasons and consumer technology reasons. And the onstage haters are people who complain in public. So social media, review sites, discussion boards and forums, all that stuff, right? And, and they only want a reply about half the time. The other half the time, they're not necessarily complaining at the business, they're complaining about the business. They're just sort of griping, right? So, so if you see somebody on Facebook say, um, I just saw this a couple days ago, a friend of mine, uh, man, I really hate American Airlines. Well, it wasn't necessarily like, hey, American Airlines, I had this problem, please fix it. It was just more a statement of dissatisfaction. So there's a huge opportunity for businesses, though. If you can find those, Facebook's tough because the way it's set up, but if you can find those statements of dissatisfaction and answer them anyway, so if he says, hey, I really hate American Airlines, and American Airlines answered him in Facebook, like, hey, we're really sorry to hear that. How can we help? What the what? I mean, that now all of a sudden, your, your thinking around that brand changes like instantly. And you take a detractor and turn them into an advocate. And there's tons and tons of research in the Hug Your Haters book and other research that we cite there that I didn't do that, that demonstrates that, that flippability, right? To take somebody from a detractor to an advocate just by listening to them. And, and most businesses today just aren't listening hard enough. Well, so, so some of the things that you've advocated, things like paying attention to your customers in content, paying attention to customer service as a, basically, as a feedback mechanism for understanding what's important to your customers. Have you seen companies who are actually taking those inputs and creating either exclusive customer service-based content or things focused on retention? So for instance, in the, in the old days and like the dark ages of the internet 10 years ago, 
FAQ pages right. were this. Right. And right. and I remember there there was a time where I actually did exactly that where I, I sat down with the customer service people of of a company I was working with, picked out their top questions that they got asked and made FAQ videos. Absolutely. So that we could use them yeah. on social media. Yeah. Well, it's that's the that's the funny <laughs> thing, Jeff. So it's called FAQ, right? Because it's Frequently <laughs> asked. Well, today that, we just actually, we just there's a just, yeah, I thought that was a word. So we just we just make those FAQs now without anybody ever asking us because we assume as marketers that we know what questions customers have. So what you should do uh, is every time customer service talks to a customer and they have a question, they should write that down. And there's software that can help you do that and pull that out of emails and phone call scripts and all that. But, but at the simplest form, just have your customer service team write down in notes every time a customer asks a question, they give that to you. You do some simple data mining on that and be like, okay, here are the questions that were actually frequently asked. Right. And, like, and let's use that as, as our content formula, right? As, as I say in the presentation, uh, customer service is the petri dish for great content. You just have to tie those two things together in a way that day to day they just often aren't. And we know, I mean, like this all makes sense. Like I don't think people are like, that's crazy. I would never do that. But nobody actually does it. You know, even and people say, well, that presentation's common sense. I'm like, it's not that common. Right. And and just to just to kind of follow up, so big trend these days in content marketing is ABM and yeah. content for ABM. And so you you get into that idea of custom content for prospects you're trying mm -hmm. to reach, the individual members of the buying committee. Yeah. Yeah. It it seems like that can flip really easily to the customer retention side. Yeah, I mean, I think you can use a lot of the same technologies and a lot of the same philosophies that you would put into practice for a robust uh, account-based marketing program and then say, okay, let's, let's do that, but instead of trying to find very specific new customers, let's do it for the current customers who, advantageously, you already know everything about. I mean, one of the things that gets a little bit of a sticky wicket in account-based marketing is you are, you are trying to figure some things out about that business um, based on, in some cases, partial information or inferences, and then use that, that data to, to hopefully hit it on the nose and make your content more relevant. Well, if you're, if you're creating specialized, hyper-personalized content for your current customers, you damn well better know what they want. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not very good at taking care of your customers to begin with. So I completely agree, and I really hope we have not seen any clients uh, do that, sort of take ABM principles for, for current customers, but I think it's a genius idea. Right, well. Coming soon to Oracle Marketing Cloud. <laughs> that, that's right, I, I came, with, came up with it moments ago, so. There we go, <laughs> next podcast. Um, Account-based pros. <laughs> so I wanna go back to the stat that, that Jeff started us with, which, is, you know, just to, to refresh everyone's memory, it was, a, it was a question of where is our budget focused? You know, we've focused so much of that budget at the top of the funnel on customer acquisition, not enough on retention. So the question really comes down to how do you get more budget for hugging your haters, mm -hmm. engaging with your customers, yep. you know, focusing on retention? Is this a matter of a marketer thinking about, you know, a more even split? Or is there something to be said about looking at you know, the opportunity cost of just not doing this and that it almost creates a new bucket because we could retain more revenue and thus have a larger budget to work with. It's, it's all of those, Randy, but I, I'll tell you in practice, the challenge is that a lot of marketers 
understand this. They're like, man, we're losing customers out the back door. That makes my job a lot harder, right? You're, you're sort of filling that metaphorical leaky bucket that we talk about sometimes in business. But in B2B companies in particular, uh, I think they have it harder because usually marketing is being held to a how many leads did you generate this month standard. And, and if that's how everybody's measured, that's how everybody's bonused, that's how everybody's promoted or fired, it's pretty tough to walk in and say, yeah, I know uh, you want us to generate more marketing qualified leads, but I think we should actually spend more time keeping the customers we already have. While that makes perfect sense uh, and is actually by far the best decision financially, usually what happens is they say, great marketing guy, go get more leads because that's just how the company thinks about it. And so typically it requires sort of an executive level awakening, like you said with John Miller at Marketo, uh, now at Asensio, to say, oh, wait a second. Like, it's not all about top-line growth, right? Because top-line growth with bottom-line churn isn't really top-line growth, right? You're just running in place. It's a treadmill of business. And so unfortunately, um, in B2B companies, I, I find like the marketers don't often have enough, enough of, a, of a stick uh, to, to, to make that change internally. B2C companies easier, which is great. Um, and, and in smaller companies, definitely easier because you can just get everybody in a room and say, hey, let's just put some more resources against customer service. I had a call the other day with somebody, some, you know, relatively small company. They said, look, I love what you wrote and Hug Your Haters. I totally believe you. Uh, we've got um, a lot of churn um, out the back door. Uh, we're losing a lot of customers. But because we're losing a lot of customers, they just cut the customer service budget because they don't have enough money to pay for customer service now. So they took a problem that was already bad and just made it worse, right? It's like, well, yeah, that's, I can't help you now. Yeah, no, it, it, you know, you talk about B2B, but I, I see this happen a lot in B2C as well. For sure. Um, it's, it's really sad that my mindset for my cable bill, when I want a better price, is to call and actually ask for the cancellation. Yeah, because you no, know. Yeah, I have no intention yeah. to cancel. Yeah. I, to be honest, it's more of a pain in my butt to, to cancel. Switching cost is too high. But yeah. the reality is I know that that's the group that I have to engage with to actually get a better price. It's funny, right? And the, the ironic thing is the marketing team at whatever cable company I use is sending out offers to new customers. That's a way better deal than what you're paying. Exactly. A way better deal. So it's, it's this broken cycle where they know that Yeah, don't go through your neighbor's mail. You don't go through your neighbor's <laughs> mail. You're like, wait, how much for cable and TV right. and phone and everything else? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's really it's really fascinating how that works. And like, yeah, so you just like try to game the system, right? Absolutely. And and I and I wonder, you know, we we talk back to closing that loop. I think that's that's the problem we have to figure out. How do we get you know, the marketing team and the success team to actually talk so that you can approach people more proactively rather than reactively. I mean, to your point in terms of responding, imagine someone actually proactively reached out just to say, are you happy? Right. Yeah. Imagine, yeah, imagine your, your, your cell phone provider or your cable provider, your satellite provider, any of those kind of month, even well, electrical is a bad example because it's typically a utility, but anybody you're paying a monthly service fee to just said, hey, uh, by the way, uh, we've got a new plan. We can save you some money. Like we're just going to drop your bill by twenty dollars because we know that that we can. Like the impact of that. No, they would they lose twenty dollars a month. They would. But you can model that, right? And you can say, okay, you lose twenty dollars a month, but that person's likelihood to to defect to defect now goes way way down. And not insignificantly, they're probably going to start telling their friends because what's going to happen if they proactively call you and say we're going to drop your bill? Here's what happens next. You say, thanks very much. 
you hang up the phone or get off your email, and the next thing you do is you say to your wife and then your friends and then Twitter and then Facebook, you won't believe what just happened to me. And that's when you take your customers and you turn them into marketers. And it happens only when you exceed their expectations. And so there's a lot of ways to exceed customer expectations. You can be more proactive than they expect, as you just mentioned. You can be faster, you can be cheaper, you can be a lot of things. But but being better at customer service than people expect is actually pretty easy because people don't expect very much, right? It's not a very high bar to clear. They wouldn't even have to give you $20 off. They just say, hey, we have some new plans. Are you interested in hearing about them? We might be able to save you a few dollars. Even that would be a mind blower compared to how it's handled now. We have to threaten death to get a discount. Uh, absolutely, it's it's uh, it's scary. It's you know it's funny when you were doing your keynote earlier. I, I uh, turned over to the director of our success team, and I had this idea, which is, what if we had some sort of button inside of our application, or a SaaS application, mm-hmm. that actually people could toggle to say, "Am I a happy customer or unhappy Love customer?" Love it. Right? Sort of a real-time net promoter score in the it, software. Great exactly. Idea. And you know, someone should go and invent that. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of software providers could benefit from that because it's not just every time I open Microsoft Excel, it's a my <laughs> it's a sad face. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, they're not a sponsor yet. Maybe not. In the nah, well, you know. I don't. <laughs> We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, Anyways, I I think we're running out of time here. Usually we like to to finish with a question of what did you want to be when you grew up? I don't know if if we've done that with you before. No. You were our first guest ever before my time. So what did I want to be when I grew up? Well, and just to preface you. Most people have not said that they wanted to be marketers or content marketers. Of course not. I mean, who would possibly want to do that? That's insane. Uh, I wanted to be, not when I was a little, little kid, but I was sort of middle school, high school, and even first little bit of college, I wanted to be a journalist. Um, and so I was super big newspaper nerd in high school, and I was all about all the president's men, Woodward and Bernstein. Uh, I was really, my, my dream job was to be a reporter for the Washington Post. That's that's what I wanted to be. And I was a journalism major in college initially, and then I switched to political science and got involved in political campaigns and then traditional marketing and then internet marketing, and, and here we are. Uh, but that was that was my deal. Amazing. Well, yeah, I, I think that's a common trend we see with you know content marketers today. A lot of people who have come from journalism or yeah, come some, from sort of some sort of writing yeah. background, yeah. and you know we've seen you know a lot of that uh, again where we are this week at uh, the Uberflip Experience here in Toronto with about three hundred marketers uh, talking about copy, talking about copywriting. We had a great speaker before who Jeff and I said we we've got to get on the show, <laughs> Joanna Weeb, which yeah, she's, you know, she's going to be awesome. We'll 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 make sure to get that. So if if you like this episode, you want to hear that episode in the future, which will line up, uh, please. As you heard earlier, check out contentprospodcast.com. You can find this podcast pretty much anywhere, whether it's on iTunes, in which case we want a review. And although I don't think iTunes lets us hug your haters if you don't like it, we will take take your feedback and we will work it into the show. Um, You know, Stitcher, wherever it is you find your podcast, that's where we are. Uh, On behalf of Jeff Cohen at Oracle Marketing Cloud. I'm Randy Frisch from Uberflip. And thanks so much to Jay for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. If you like uh, this show, listen to Social Pros, which is my show. Same idea with social media peeps, uh, socialpros.com. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Clear Voice Content Marketing Software, Convince and Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, 
and by Uberflip, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by...